Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. As we normally do, um, we recite the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable, remain standing or stand up. Those of you in the balcony, I'm calling you out right now. <clears throat> and uh, we, it goes like this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Please have a seat. It's, um, I, I love the opportunity to get to come and be a part of the service, this part of the service, to uh, share my thoughts. They're my thoughts. They're nothing really brilliant, but um, I've been prayerful, and I'm hopeful that it'll be encouraging you today. And um, uh, the title of this sermon um, is, um, may feel odd for the first half of the sermon, but it's called the Eyes Wide Open Church. And um, Pastor Pete inaugurated the start of a new series we're in, The Church on the Mount. And in um, his sermon, in his teaching, he reminded us uh, some important truths about who we are and what we are meant to be in this world, that we are meant to make known God's manifold wisdom, that we are to make God shine in this world so that people will continue to be drawn to him. Jesus said in his prayer for his disciples, Father, make them one so that the world might know that you have sent your son. Our unity, our togetherness calls people into relationship with their creator, with God. And um, we are the church. And we are the church who is meant to live our lives in a way that is different than those who are not in relationship with their good Lord. To worry is to be human. And this is the core of what we're going to be talking about. This is what I'm going to be talking about and what you're going to be talking about, but this is what I'm going to be talking about. Oh, by the way, those who are watching us online, welcome and thank you for joining us. But we're going to talk about worry from the passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And some of us know this passage very well. We go to it especially in times when we feel concerned and worried and anxious. It has provided comfort to, to people all over the world for people at all times. And it's important to know that God cares about this very thing because to be human is to worry. Therefore, God has a vested interest in addressing this in our lives. Why do we worry? Well, there are many reasons why we worry. But I think prominently so, is because life can be uncertain and there are many, too many unknowns, too many things outside of our control. 
This is why, in part, we worry. We get concerned. And this is what it means for us to live on this dust ball called earth in the here and now. Jesus doesn't tell us that worry will be vanquished while we're here. He says at the end of this passage, by the way, that don't worry, don't be overly concerned about today or tomorrow because tomorrow will have its worry, worries of its own. So Jesus is acknowledging that worry is present to us and will continue to be until we reach the other side. It's true. The question is, how are we to experience something like worry and concern, brokenheartedness and, and pain and suffering in the here and now? We are to experience this in the context of a loving God. And I'm hopeful that the passage will bear this out this morning. We worry about many things. We worry about finances. We worry about our jobs. One woman uh, this morning uh, shared with me after the first service that uh, a few years ago, she, her, she lost her job because of um, uh, downsizing. And um, that was, as you might imagine, if you've ever experienced that, a really a kind of a terrifying experience. And then she said, I opened up the scriptures to this very passage. And she says, it was more than just what I read. As I was reading God's word, a wave of hope and encouragement and peace came over me. The circumstances didn't change, but for five months later, when she is now in her present job that she's been in for the last 11 or so years. But in the midst of her worry, God came to her. And, and this is, this is what, what the expectation is for the church, is that we, are, we, we experience life differently because of who we know. We worry about our families. We worry about relationships and our health. We worry about global things like the global economy. We worry about security and safety. We worry about the climate. Uh, recent data showed in uh, 2023 that 32.5% of adult Americans suffer from symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, a good majority of that number are experienced by young people ages 18 to 24 because they believe that the future is rather bleak for them. They don't really, they can't relate to this thing called the American dream or any other such thing because life is just different. And you don't need me to stand here and tell you how life is different. And we have experienced a surge in anxiety and worry and concern right in the past few years with the pandemic, some of the, the cultural realities that we've been experiencing around um, race and other things and violence, you know, all kinds, all of these things have, have created this surge of anxiety. My wife is an assistant principal in a school and um, she can tell you of the, of the numbers of children who are experiencing anxiety and depression because of the times in which we live. It's serious. And I don't ever mean to be glib about addressing this. We will be addressing it, but in a very narrow fashion this morning that is determined by the context of Scripture. 
But I want you to know that we take this seriously as your church. There are many, very many people in here, in here who serve as good resources to those who are living with anxiety and depression and worry and concern. We want to be there to support you. So what is worry? Well, Webster's has something to say, as Webster's always has said. And basically, it means to afflict with mental distress or agitation, to make anxious. And then the gospel writer, Matthew, uses a common Greek word called uh, merimna, which simply means to be anxious and to care for. And uh, ever since popular culture became popular culture in song, in film, um, they have something, have had something to say about worry too, right? Uh, famously, hakuna matata. <laughs> the problem-free philosophy. Now I've got that tune started in your heads and you're not going to listen to the rest of anything I say. Or the popular song, another song that'll get stuck in your head, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Bobby McFerrin wrote, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. In every life we have some troubles, but when you worry, you make it double. Now, the song does go on to enumerate some of the serious things about which we worry, and so it doesn't ignore the fact that there are things to be concerned about, um, but it doesn't really get us as far as we need to go in terms of how do we deal with worry. Now, I've been helped, maybe you have too, by singing these songs in my head or out loud. So they're helpful, and I don't mean to disrespect that. The Bible, too, has something to say about worry. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, Don't worry about anything, but in all your prayers, ask God for what you need. Always asking him with a thankful heart, and God's peace, which is far beyond human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And in 1 Peter, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The difference between what the world offers and what the scripture offers is God. But a loving, caring God. I think about children. Jesus used children as an example of what we need to aspire to be in terms of their, their childlike faith, Right? I think about children at homes where it's, it's a loving, caring, affirming environment. And children do not worry about food. Now, they may criticize the food. That's different. <laughs> or clothing, and they may criticize that too. But there's no worry. Why? They trust. And who do they trust? They trust their parent or parents, the people who are charged with their care. They just know it's going to be there. And I wonder if Jesus isn't, um, this doesn't hyperlink back to, to that when he tells us, when he admonishes us not to worry. And I think eyes wide open here means that Jesus wants us to see something. So let's go ahead and read the passage this morning. 
And it's a scholar's translation. It's not the NIV, NLT, or anything like that. It's the Matthean scholar's translation. So let me read this for you. I tell you, therefore, don't worry about your life, what you are to eat, nor about your body, what you are to wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Take a good look at the wild birds. They do not sow seed or harvest crops or store them in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more important than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit or half a meter to your lifespan? And why worry about clothes? Take a lesson from the wildflowers. See how they grow. They do not have to work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed as magnificently as one of them. If God gives such clothing to the wild plants that are here today and thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not do much more for you, you faithless people? So don't worry. What are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to wear? All the things Gentiles are searching for. Since your heavenly Father knows you need all these things, rather, rather, Make it your priority to find God's kingship and his righteousness. Then all these other things, food, clothing, drink, will be given you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today's troubles are enough for today. It's the word of the Lord. Jesus, true to his character, to himself as the king of the upside-down kingdom, aims for some underlying issues here, issues that perhaps at the face of it we don't really give much attention to. And this means that at first glance we don't always perceive what Jesus is saying and teaching, uh, most famously parables, right? It's like, oh, I'm not sure what he's saying. I know it's important, but I'm not sure what he's saying. And, and this, this, again, Jesus, Jesus, whenever he teaches, is going for a deeper issue. Not, he's not interested in writing little ditties like Hakuna Matata and Don't Worry, Be Happy. As fun and as useful they might be, Jesus goes deeper, right? Because he knows us. But before we get to um, the comments in the main passage, let's look at um, some verses just above it. I won't read the verses. I'll just comment on them. Verses 19 through 24 in Matthew 6, we see Jesus sets the table by saying that we, we should stop storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth. Treasures that are vulnerable to deterioration or theft. And we are also admonished to reorient ourselves toward investing in the things that have eternal significance. He goes on to employ an argument um, that seems random to me, but, but it, it is known to the Jewish audience of his day. When he said, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is sound, your whole body will be illuminated but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be in the dark. So if the light which is in you is darkness, how great that darkness is. This feels random to me. I feel like, well, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, and then boom, we got this, 
thing about the eye, and those of you who are optometrists or ophthalmologists in this room, you can appreciate uh, the comments right now. But actually, they're, they're, um, it makes sense if you were aware, if you were Jewish, because in the Jewish thinking, um, the eye as a lamp had to do with generosity. And the single eye was another way of talking about being singly focused. A good eye, a generous eye, will illuminate one's soul, but a bad eye, one that's not singly focused, reveals a dark stinginess. So this is really a comment on generosity. And it makes sense coming off of uh, the even further deeper above Matthew 6. This also makes sense of the next argument when Jesus talks about not serving two masters. It's an absurdity to imagine that a person could be equally devoted to two owners who are fundamentally opposed to one another. The choice for Jesus is clear. Choose to belong to God, not wealth or possessions or um, mammon. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Let's sit with that for a moment. That feels freeing to me. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I, Paul does not mince words here. This is the nature of the relationship between a person and the master called wealth and mammon. Wealth and possessions are not benevolent masters. They bring ruin to those enslaved by it. Eyes wide open, church. Well, why did I call it that? Because have you not already noticed, Jesus uses a lot of seeing language in this passage. He tells us to intently watch birds. Don't just notice them, but study them. And that we can learn something about God and worry. It's also by noticing the beauty of wildflowers that we are to understand more deeply who God is. And this God, I will argue, is the God who is a generous God. Jesus taught his disciples and is teaching us that the way to address worry for the things we need to thrive is to take notice of this generous God. And we got in trouble a long, long, long time ago by not noticing God's generosity. Tyler Staten in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, he helps us here when he explains Satan's strategy for successfully getting Adam and Eve to disregard God and his command to avoid eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what he wrote. In Genesis 2, God displayed his generosity, offering free reign over the garden. Any tree except this one, it's poisonous. The enemy flips that command from broad and generous to narrow and restrictive. 
broad and generous to narrow and restrictive. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's flipping the command to make a generous offer seem stingy. He's not asking Eve to eat the fruit. He's chipping away at her trust in God. And this is the way the enemy does it. Is he aims at our understanding of who God is. And when we, when we allow him to influence our understanding, our perception of God that is in, informed not just by scripture but by the Holy Spirit, then we fall prey. We are vulnerable to falling prey to overwhelming experience of concern and anxiety and worry. Sorry. I'm worried about this microphone. <laughs> Provisions are important. They're necessary. Jesus is not saying these things are not necessary, but he's saying let's put them in the correct order of importance. Life and the body are more important. Life and the body, um, we're just passing through. And someday we will join him on the other side. That's eternal. Those are the treasures we are store, storing up. Food, clothing, drink, these things are meant to serve the thing which is more important, the thing about which God says he cares more than the animals. He is a generous God, and it is he that we are meant to, to see and help us. Psalm 36, verse 5. Lord, your constant love reaches the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness is towering like the mountains. Your justice is like the depths of the sea. People and animals are in your care. How precious, O oh Lord, is your constant love. We find protection under the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundant food you provide. You let us drink from the river of your goodness. You are the source of all life. And because of you, because of your light, we see the light. This is a picture of the God who is generous. And it's in that context that we bring our cares and our worries. It's to him. We are to come like children to our good and gracious Heavenly Father. I know it's easier said than done. I know it is. And I journey alongside with you. But the purpose of being here today is to remind us again of God's word. Yeah, hakuna matata and don't worry, be happy. These are nice sentiments, but they don't get us to where we need to be. Because more than just changing our thinking or our perspective, it is really about where our perspective and our thinking is centered. We do we clearly see God for who he is, as the God who is, whose love extends to the heavens? Who is the generous God? Is he a generous God? Do you experience him as a God who is generous in his love for you, his extravagant love? Do you? This is an invitation today for you to come to know him. And if you do, then... How are we to be the church 
that manifests the wisdom and character of God in this world. We are to be like our generous Heavenly Father, generous in a way that brings peace and relief to others around us. This is a prominent trait of God's character, generosity. And we are meant to be agents of God's peace and grace in this world.